Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in centering today, we really do have a very cool centering act. We have Colleen O'Neill. Colleen, I had the pleasure, thank you, Colleen, of appearing on your podcast um, a little bit ago, and it was quite enjoyable. And then I did some digging. So I knew you as a mediator and a mediator who had a podcast. What I wasn't clear about and what I find really exciting is that you're not only a mediator, but you're a life coach and you're an educator. I like those three combinations because when we talk about the emotions of divorce, it's wonderful to have a therapist um, on board having these discussions uh, because we can dig a little deeper into the reasons why things are happening. And so I, I appreciate that. And then as an educator, that's great too, life coach. It's, it's all about how to communicate with people in a way to move them forward. But here's what I thought was extremely interesting and, and kind of where I wanted to take off with you today. So I read that you had originally worked in Cambridge, Massachusetts with the district attorney's office assisting victims of violence, homicide, rape, and child abuse. And at least child abuse and domestic violence come into play a lot of times in mediation. It feels to me, and this is where I would love you to come in and start this discussion, it feels to me, Colleen, that still in family court, we don't have enough judges educated in the emotions of divorce to be able to then pull from the law and make what I consider to be far more relevant and safe decisions to protect children and to protect the victims. Can you talk to me a little bit more about this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nice to be here. Um, nice to see you again. We don't have enough of anybody educated in uh, family violence, period, or just violence in general. So, uh, as a so out of college, I worked um, in Cambridge, as you said, as a victim witness advocate. And we have victim witness advocates in pretty much most courts now in the United States. They're based in court systems to help victims of violence navigate the legal system, and so they're necessary in your courthouses. Um, part of what I did, I worked more on the superior court cases, your, your higher end cases, your, your more, your more violent cases. So your, your rapes, your homicides and your child abuse cases, your, your, um, children of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, violent, violent cases. And so one of the, and, and I also did police trainings to train, uh, new state police that, uh, recruits that would come in and train them on how to handle domestic violence cases, how to handle rape cases, that kind of stuff, and how to actually treat victims of rape when you, instead of treating them (laughs) as uh, like 
on the emotional level as as a as opposed to a piece of the crime scene <laughs> do you know what i'm saying yeah. so how to how to how to handle them because it, many people don't even know how to handle how to handle somebody and and that is an important element in any in any case but i think when it comes to the courts attorneys <laughs> don't know how to handle their own clients who are victims of domestic violence in a, in a divorce so attorneys need trainings but the, the judges don't know how to handle that. Um, and that goes both ways because there are men who are victims of domestic violence and there are women who are victims of domestic violence. And so I don't want to only say that there are only women of domestic violence. Many men don't come forward because there's a lot of shame in that. How do you, what do you mean you got beat up by your wife or your wife did, blah, blah. you know, so that's a whole nother talk in another time, but, but there's a lot of uneducated people about domestic violence. And you probably are very aware what's going on in the courts today about coercive control, about what that means uh, for getting people on board. There's a lot of legislative, um, I know just here in Connecticut, there's, we just had new legislation passed about coercive control in, uh, in putting legislation in place for people going through divorce um, and so that, and going through, uh, cases like that, where, you know, you're, you recognize now financial control, you recognize emotional abuse, like instead of it just being schlupped off as nothing, because it really is all part of that domestic abusive patterns that go on in family dynamics and relationships. No matter the type of relationship, whether it's a homosexual relationship or a heterosexual, it doesn't really matter. Right. When you, when people come to you in your mediation practice, do you see a lot of this? How does this come up for you now in your practice? So, so having been a victim witness advocate and then having gone on, I went on to be a teacher uh, and then I went on to be a therapist. And then I went on to do divorce mediation. I see it a lot. They don't necessarily see it. That's not necessarily my role to point out stuff that goes on. I can see it in a mediation sometimes. So like I had a mediation last year where I, I didn't, I, I had to stop it. So for professionally, if I see somebody like in this case, it happened to be a woman and she was like a deer in the headlights when it came to the financial pieces. And I could just see she didn't really understand the, the, even the, the financial language of certain things. And for me, I can't do a mediation if, if, if both parties aren't uh, similarly aware of the, even what's going on with the, the money. And I'm not saying he was abusive. I just think that's how they set up their relationship. And I, so I said, I'm, I'm going to stop this here. I suggested that she go get some education and talk to somebody. And if they'd like to come back to me, I'm more than willing to come back and resume where we left off. But I couldn't, it, I couldn't move forward in that because it would have been disingenuous on my part and unprofessional to move forward when I can clearly see she, would, she just wanted to be fair. That's all she kept saying. I just wanted to be fair. But you don't even know what you're being fair with. <laughs> 
Exactly. And, and I was going to go into this later, so I'm so happy you brought it up on your own. I like to ask mediators, do you stop mediations? And when you do, why do you stop them? So when you said in this one particular example that um, it, it, it was very lopsided when the settlement was being dealt with and you, you suggested she get education, get education where? In that case, who did she need to talk to? She needed to talk to a certified divorce financial analyst or planner. So it's a CDFA or a CDFP. It just depends on where you live. But it needs to be a certified divorce financial because divorce laws are very different than just, uh, uh, you know, going to an accountant. That's not who you need to go to because divorce laws are very different than just going to your local financial planner. I'm so happy you brought this up because a couple months ago, I interviewed a woman, Caroline Pack, out of Seattle, Washington, and she was a certified divorce financial analyst and and planner. And that was the first time I had run into that credential. And so she was explaining to me what she did, and she was also explaining what I think you're referring to, and that is... When we go to divide things, so we're a community property state in California, but there's an equitable division of asset states that are very similar to community Mm -hmm. property. And do you know what, you're in New Jersey, right? Or Connecticut? I'm in Connecticut. You're in Connecticut. Are you community or? um, uh, We're we're 50-50, so it's just you know, equitable division, equitable of division of assets. So what Caroline was saying, and, 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 and the why, why I think what you're suggesting now is really important, a certified divorce financial analyst, and that is, you could be looking at the numbers on paper and thinking you're just slicing it in half and it's all good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And Caroline was saying, and I'm looking at you shaking your head, so I think I'm going in the right direction with you as well, the tax implications. Absolutely. Be, go ahead. I'm going to let you finish. No, the tax implications are huge depending on how you slice the... I used to be a math teacher. <laughs> so, you know, my education is I was a math teacher. based. So it's how you slice that pie depending on how those assets are divided and, how you, and, and then how you invest them is equally as important too. So I want somebody to also find people on how to invest those assets too. But how you slice that pie definitely matters. Right. The result of each slice in how it pertains to your individual financial situation going forward Mm -hmm. really matters. And we don't think about that. I never thought about it until she, Caroline brought this up and now you're bringing it up for the second time. You could take a piece of, you could take the second home or you could take the pension. And those are different. Those are different um, assets that you're going to be held responsible for financially. And one could be better or worse for you. It depends on where you're falling. And that's why you need to talk with somebody about how that impact, how that financially impacts you in the present moment and in the long term. That's no truer word. And, And let me just say too, what I think the difference between going to somebody who's a non-mediator, I mean, who's a non-attorney mediator, who is an attorney mediator. And I'm not saying this is across the board, but you need people who can read the room 
And, and it's not just unraveling the marriage and a legal contract. There's a lot more to it. Like you need to read, you needed somebody to read this woman's face and do right by her and do right by him, right? You do right by the couple and the children, right? Yes. And are you suggesting that at times an attorney may be so focused on the law? Yes. And because not the I've emotion. Heard, I've heard attorney, attorneys say, that's not my job. My job is to unravel the contract. That's period. And I agree with them. In a legal context, it's not their job. And, and so that's why I went from being a little shy when I got into family law mediation because I wasn't an attorney. And then I started understanding, wait a minute, there are limitations to being an attorney as a mediator. And there are benefits to being a non-attorney mediator because you are looking at, in my words, the backdrop to the, the, the reasons for the divorce are the backdrop to the mediation. Mm-hmm. And you have to be really sensitive. You can't, I can't ask what the reasons are for the divorce. Do you ever ask for the reasons? Um, I don't ask. It typically will come out in some kind of format. <laughs> you know, it'll come out if they want to share it, but it's, that's not really my business about why, they, why they're getting divorced unless somebody bring, happens to, you know, sling mud at typically some point because... Right, yeah. and divulge. Yeah. And right. start it divulging. With the, with they had a pack not to divulge right. in front of everybody. <laughs> right. But you did pick up on something in this one example, which I'm sure there are many others that mm-hmm. in your practice, you did pick up on the... Um, uh, the energy, the, the, the disparate uh, points of view, the lack of understanding, and maybe the caving. I just want it to be fair. And well, then you that, could, and you, you know, that's where you come with the, you could, I could read her face. I mean, it's, you could, I saw it in her eyes. It's the body language. I just saw it. You could, you could, you know, it's time out. Stop the mediation. I can't go any further. She doesn't understand. Okay. And so when you said that, how did he, it was, was it a head? Oh, well, he wanted to continue to explain it to her. So I gave him a few, I gave him a few minutes. Of course, they were actually fairly amicable. So of course, I'm going to give him an opportunity. Perhaps it was me. Perhaps I wasn't, you know, I, I don't know them very well, but I gave him an opportunity. And, and, I could clearly see because he said, I've told you this before. <laughs> and obviously it gave him an opportunity to make, perhaps clarify what he's probably stated to her many times before, but she didn't get it. And you can't do, you can't do a mediation where somebody just doesn't understand exactly what they're doing because it's their whole life moving forward. Yes. It's their whole life. And you know, there is something to be said with an attorney. And I've had little arguments with attorneys about this. There's something to be said for the letter of the law, which is just unraveling the marital contract. And then there's the spirit of the law, which is doing it in a way that honors both people, not just unraveling the contract. I want to, so for me, I want to honor both of them. Yes. And the way I say it is there's the law, then there's what works for both of you, meaning what makes sense for your relationship. Mm -hmm. How did all of that work? And 
fair to you may be different than another couple observing your mediation, thinking that something else would be fair, correct? Right. Absolutely. And so, and that's the beauty of mediation. It's not cookie cutter. What works for one doesn't work for another. No two mediations are really ever the same because no two marriages and no two families are ever the same. So that's the, that's the beauty of the job is being able to, to honor, honor families because they're all very different. You do four things. So in your offerings to people, you work with separation and divorce. <clears throat> but I don't, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> but I don't know um, because you don't do the filing. So you work um, as a coach or a mediator, right? Yeah. No, when they come to me, uh, certainly they can, they can file, they file their own. I encourage them to go to, together to file because then they save the filing fees. <laughs> there's no really, in Connecticut here, there's no really reason to serve each other. You can just go down to the, to the courthouse and file together and you, you waive having service. You don't have to serve each other. Wow, that's interesting. I yeah. love knowing that. Yep. I don't know how it is in California, but in Connecticut. It's not that. No, you always have to serve the other person. We have what's called summary dissolution. If you're married under five years and you virtually have nothing, I mean, literally nothing, maybe a vehicle, um, then you can do a summary dissolution, but the other person still has to be served. Yeah, you can, you can, you, if you go down together, you can waive service because you can sign right in front, front of the clerk, right? So ah, okay, just waive yeah, but if you're, or you can, or you can, you know, someone can be served, but we have a similar to you where if you don't have anything, you really can wrap that up pretty quickly and be done very quickly, which I'm grateful for because why drag any, anything out? But Absolutely. if you have things, um, but now since post COVID, I mean, they've, they've changed a lot of, a lot of things. And obviously you can get, you can get divorced pretty quickly if you're in agreement on everything, which mediation is, is huge back here now because there's, the courts are, have been closed, so there's nothing to litigate anymore. If you want to litigate, take a number like at the deli, you're going to be in line for a long time, you know, because it's, it's, they're encouraging people to mediate. Well, but with mediating, it still doesn't get you the official divorce, though. You still have to go back into the forms and filing and, and, and sew that up. Yes, but it's uh, pretty much everything's online. I don't know how it is in well, California. Okay, when I say go back to the court, I don't mean physically. I, okay. I do mean file yeah. with the court. Yeah, you have to file. You still have your forms. Ours are much more streamlined. I think they've kind of cleaned things up, which has been since COVID. I mean, it has, for the benefit of COVID, it certainly has helped streamline a lot of, a lot of things. Right. And you know what I find interesting is, and, and, and I understand it, so... Uh, we want to be divorced by a mediator. Those are a lot of the calls I get. And then I explain, well, my mediation license allows me to help, allows me to help work with you on your settlement, but my paralegal slash legal document assistant license allows me to file for you in court at a much more reduced rate. Our forms are too confusing. It's people spend too much of their time trying to figure mm -hmm. it out. And then they eventually come to somebody like me. Just please just do it. I can't take it anymore. Right. Um, so mediation doesn't get you divorced. It just gets 
the settlement terms down so that you can place that into a larger agreement or a form. And then that becomes the agreement of record. And if it's breached, then you have that, then the court will, will stand by it and, and help decide how to make it right. Correct. You do yes. in Connecticut. Okay. So with separate legal separation and divorce, you either offer a one, I'm guessing, and just tell me, you either offer a one-on-one coaching service or you mediate. Is that the way you function within the family? Yeah. I mean, I have people from all over the country that I will help coach them through. Like I have have a lot of people that are working with attorneys that will call me up and say, I'm working with my attorney. I'm not really sure where I'm at or I'm going into a mediation. Can you help coach me into my mediation with my attorney? Because they're, because their attorneys speak, attorneys speak, and they're not, they're, they even go in a little confused into the mediation. They're not even clear on the whole process sometimes, even working with their attorney, not understanding what to expect. And I have, I have a woman in Atlanta right now. She went into her mediation last week. She's divorcing her uh, husband who is an attorney. <laughs> And so she had me review her case, set her up to go in with her attorney. Um, it didn't go very well. And so like, I'm still in review for where she's going with going next. But like, there's cases like that, that I'm just, I'm helping people just prep for their own mediations. So, which is because you have to be able, even how to sit on Zoom, how to know that your ex is, you know, in the Zoom with you, how to, you know, there's a lot of things to feeling confident going in under, have you checked all the boxes where you're supposed to be? Like talk about some of the boxes. I love that you coach in preparation for mediation. Oh, absolutely. Um, so one of the first things is, it's like, have you done your homework and stop, you know, having your attorney, like, yes, you rely on your attorney for certain things, but your attorney works for you. So do you, is all your discovery in? You hired that attorney. So is all your discovery in? Are, are you prepared with all the documents that you were asked to bring? So the woman was, so this woman was like, should I bring all my stuff to the Zoom? I'm like, yes, you bring every document you have. I don't care if you have, if there's so many boxes, you leave some in your car then, but you, you, you know, you, you put your Zoom on pause and you say, I'm going to go get that document. It's right out in my car. It's all filed. It's organized. She said, should I be in my attorney's office with my attorney doing Zoom or should I be at home? I'm like, no, you're in your attorney's office. I like that. Right? I and like you're, that. and I'm like, if you need a pause, you're sitting next to your, your attorney. You have a, you, ha, you know, you have a physical, you, when you clamp on her arm or his arm, then you need a timeout. You know, you ask for a caucus where you're, you know, you're asking for a, you know, time to just meet with the mediator and your attorney and you so that you're not, you're not meeting with your, your, your ex-husband or wife, whatever it is. Another good reason, Colleen, for people to be in their attorney's office if they have one for Zoom is that you don't have to think of the technology. Absolutely. Because if you're by yourself, you have to deal with the technology of the Zoom meeting. And if you connect out, you know, something happens, it's very disturbing and it's hard enough to focus on the negotiation. Yeah. And and people don't think, well, do I have to, I'm on Zoom, do I have to dress? I'm like, yes, you have to dress. 
Yes, you have to dress. I and don't look down. You look right at the camera. Like, don't look down. Don't be intimidated. Like, there's there's just all, there's all those things that, that really matter. Like, how you show up really matters. Absolutely. And I'm going to call on your therapist background for this question in mediation. <clears throat> you are told by the person you're coaching that they're either married to a narcissist, a sociopath, either very diagnosed or undiagnosed. But golly, I've read a lot. I I know what's going on here. And we know that people with personality disorders or high conflict personalities, as they're called, can really overtake the discussion. How do people deal with this if they're married to somebody like that who can be overwhelming? So if they're in a mediation, that's really the mediator's role. So you really, that's your attorney's role. And that's why if you're with an attorney, you need, and you are, I mean, everyone under the sun is married to a narcissist. Like it's the new... Everybody is. I mean, bipolar was the personality disorder de jour back in uh, 2012 when I got into the business. Yes. And a couple of years ago, it switched to narcissism. And I'm not right. saying they're not out there, but it, to me, it's so irrelevant, the label. It, it's irrelevant. I don't care who you're married to, you still have to deal. Whether that person has that label or not. So if you are concerned about your ex-partner's um, ability to uh, kind of usurp the room and take over the room. One, you're going to have to rely that the mediator is able to do that. If you have no confidence in that mediator, I'd probably get a new mediator. But if you're, you're not, you, you, you inform your attorney, but you, you let your attorney t- handle it. But you have to, again, tell your attorney that. And if your attorney is unable to handle it, I wouldn't do the mediation. I wouldn't waste my money. Either not do the mediation or wouldn't this be time to go for the caucus, separate the rooms so that you're only speaking one-on-one with the mediator now and the mediator can deal with that person. That's what um, I had the woman do uh, in in Atlanta was her husband's an attorney. So it just, it's too much for her. So do the caucus. Yes, yes. And when somebody, when you start out in a room together, I have a lot more in-person mediations. I I guess people feel a little looser and and it's not just Zoom. I hate Zoom mediations. I'll do them. I've done a couple, but people aren't focused, Colleen. Um, I did one mediation where the woman who actually asked for it decided she didn't want to go on camera so that she could go grocery shopping and drive and do things while we're in the mediation. I I was so shocked. I I couldn't believe it. Another gentleman left camera to go into his clothing that he was going to work out in later at the gym while we're talking. Well, I can do two things at once. No. Other media, so I don't feel badly. I've talked to other people that said, People take license in these Zoom mediations um, because they're not in the room. When you're in the room, when you're in somebody's office, you have nowhere to go. Yes. You can do nothing, but that's why I really like in-office mediations. But, you know, I I go back to, you know, several couples that said, "We, we just have to separate rooms. I can't, 
I can't live like this. I can't be spoken to like this. And people know. They know when they need to have some space, don't they? Yeah, they absolutely do. But a good mediator would set the ground rules about language, about name, how you, you know, name calling, anything, curse words. You you set that up in the beginning. Like I go through, like, that's just not allowed in here. And how you talk to me is set, set up because I'll stop it if you're disrespectful to me. We're done. Because if you're going to be disrespectful for, to me, you're already going to be disrespectful to the other person in the room. And I'm not, that's a, I stop it. You're, I'm not going to handle the mediation. I'm done. I'm out. I love that. I, you know, I love that because too few mediators do that. Um, they just become collateral damage, so to speak, in the way A or both people talk. And when you're dealing with somebody who speaks abusively, they don't know boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's they tough. don't. I'll give you. I'll, I'll. I'll tell you know. I'll be very clear. If you, if you need space take some space, but you're not going to talk to me like that. And if you're going to proceed to talk to me like that, then I'm going to end the mediation. I I, I bet you're pretty successful at turning it around by doing that. Yeah, because typically they're not spoken to like that. I don't have that intimate relationship with them. They typically, they have an investment in wanting to, to get this done and they need me. I don't need them. So I'm, I'm in here to help them. They're not doing me a favor. So typically it can be turned around. But, you ha- but it does make a statement about who's in charge in the room. And it has to be the mediator. It has to be. Yeah, there's no question. Um, do you practice therapy any longer? No, no. I, I think uh, I'm more, I think it's a little bit similar mediation because I look at mediation as a lifestyle. I look at it, how to have conversations as a lifestyle. And I think that's what mediation is. It's about helping people have a conversation where they come away with a new agreement. And so I look at it as just a lifestyle and it's just the same as it being a teacher. It was helping students have conversations half the day and then some content about a topic. But, you know, it really is about helping people have better conversations and part of better conversations is better listening. Yes. And as a mediator, what do you do when you are a customer or... um Uh, a user of services and goods and something goes awry. Do you go back to what you say to your clients? How do you get your own anger down and converse in a way that's beneficial to the outcome? I.e., you get your way. But no, you, you start unraveling the situation. It's, you know... It's not always so easy, I tell you. I'm, luckily, my office is a mile from the beach. So sometimes, you know, I think it's keeping, mediation is a really tough job because you're not, no one ever comes in super happy. Right. And I think it's much like therapy. No one really comes in super happy to see you. No one's coming in, hey, Colleen, what a great day I had. I just really want to tell you all about it. Like, and I, but by the time they leave your office, the goal is for them to 
at least be in a better breathing space, a little shift in thought. Yes. And, um, you know, self-care is, is, is so important in our field of work. I can't even tell you. I agree. I agree. I think mediators are in a very difficult position when you're working with both people. I started saying, gosh, I think attorneys have a better job here. Dealing one-on-one is so much easier, even in a coaching situation, dealing one-on-one is so much easier than when you have both people in front of you. Because especially if it's the first time around in a mediation, you've probably spoken to each person individually just to get a read on where they're going to be coming from, right? Yes. Mediators. But then you get them in the room together and it's, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're either super far apart and you got a, a lot of work to do or they're pretty close. But when you're an attorney and you're just taking on one client, you're either going to you only have to focus on one side. That's it. One side, I got to get this guy or this woman to as close to what they want. But when you're mediating, you got to get them both to as close to what they want. And it's a really tough job. Without telling them what they want. Oh, absolutely. Right. You have to hear what they want, knowing neither one of them is going to get exactly what they want, but helping them to see that they each, by giving up a little bit of what they want, they're going to get more of what they want, right? They're, no, right but, they're, you, but wait a minute. Let me remind you of some golden words you, you have said. You work towards the collective win in right. media. See, now I liked when I read that about you. Yeah. Because a lot of mediators go into this saying, well, the best mediation is when both people felt they've lost. And I say, no, 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 no. Let's not go into this with losing. Let's go into this with, we're both going to come out better than we anticipated. Yeah, they are. But, But in order to get the collective win, in order, they each have to feel, how do I put this? They each have to, you're, they each knowingly had to give up something. No one comes in with a collective win knowing they got 100% because that's not realistic. Well, especially if what they come in, in with is completely unrealistic. Yes. Like you're not only going to pay me spousal support, but you're going to pay for all of my bills. Well, yes. no, it doesn't work like that. I don't think it works like that in any state. So yes, you may come in with something very unrealistic, which again, to your earlier point, you must be educated. You must understand the law first so that when you start asking for things, you know whether it's within the law, ergo fair, or right. well outside of the law, which means you're coming in at your own self-imposed disadvantage. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then there it has go. to be reined in. So there are two other things I want to talk about that you do. And I want to start with a phrase that you have used, and that is, you don't have to wait on someone else to change so that you can change yourself. I really love that. And I want to go into your work under the heading of beyond divorce. I guess this is the life coaching part, or this is the post-divorce coaching part, 
where you may look at, the, and, and I'm reading, you know, from your own website that you're looking at aspects of the divorce settlement. Maybe people are straying from them. Maybe you have to get them back into alignment. But beyond divorce, be, divorce is a new beginning. Divorce is an opportunity for a growth experience. It's not so much fun while you're going through it, but you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you can put a light at the end of the tunnel and this change that you're going to have to go through anyway, how do you talk to me about how you address This phrase that you've used, you don't have to wait on anybody else to change. You can create the change that you need in your life. Well, yeah. I I mean, listen, the the name of my business is picked purposefully. It's mediation. That's just a small blip in your life. You do the mediation and it's called mediation and beyond because it's that whole beyond piece is like the rest of your life. And everybody gets stuck on, well, if I got this, or if we do this, or if, 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 and I'm like, you're waiting on something else to happen. Don't wait on something else to happen. Like, change now. You don't need to wait. You can change while your mediation's going on. Like, you could start now. What are you waiting for? Like, you're, you're waiting for your ex to decide about whether or not you're going to put the house up for sale. Okay, but you could still be changing other parts of your life. You could still be going to the gym or buying that new wardrobe or, or going away with your girlfriends. Like, you don't need to wait on somebody else to decide whether or not you're going to create a change in your life. Like, do it. I think people get really stuck on these one little areas about what somebody else is doing and they get kind of tunnel vision and the the whole rest of their life gets stalled. So that is really what that stop waiting and focusing on what somebody else is doing while your life is just floating by. So could this be in the decision to get divorced? The waiting part can be, we would, I would like the kids to be adult children, no, no longer minors, before I get divorced. Where do you s- talk about this? I mean, it's a big decision people have. It is a big decision. Well, children and, you know, everybody, uh, it, this is a tough one because people will say, well, when the children are older, I'm, uh, then I'm going to get divorced because I want the kids to be in a, in a, you know, in, in a home with a father and a mother. And I'm like, I so get that. Listen, my parents were together 67 years. I, I love that. But do you want them in a home with two parents or do you want them in a home where you're actually modeling a mother and a father that actually care about each other and family dy- and good, healthy family dynamics? Like you have to pick that. Like I can't tell you what that looks like, but don't use that as an excuse to stall your life. Like, I think people hide behind that. Like, I'm going to change my life when my children get older, right? And so it's like, stop waiting. Even if you're going to stay and you choose to stay, you could still be living your life and doing some of the things you want to do. Like, yes. (laughs) Colleen, what are the pros and cons? maybe from a therapist's point of view or just somebody who's lived life and dealt with thousands of people, 
What are the pros and cons of staying married until the last child is out of high school? And you're not in a good marriage? And you're not in a good marriage. Let's okay. There's two different types of not in a good marriage. One is you never fight. You're just not happy. There's no intimacy. Your kids don't see you connecting. Versus, it's loud. The kids know there's a problem. So if you're if you're just in a marriage where you're kind of just gone separate ways, you know, in the marriage, but no one's really hurting each other. There's no abuse. There's nothing. You've just outgrown each other, so to speak. I, I would be using that time to to live my life. Like I would be learning about myself. I would be engaged with myself. Like maybe you used to ski when you're in your 20s and now you decide you want to go ski again. You know, maybe you want to volunteer. Like start living your life. Stop waiting on maybe your ex is going to change. I mean, your husband that's in the house is going to change, or maybe it's going to get better when the kids are all gone. And maybe, maybe I would get rid of the maybes and start living your life. None of us know how much time we have for goodness sakes. You have no idea. The pandemic showed us that that's for sure. And if you're living in under the roof with somebody who it's just unhealthy and abusive and who kind of quashes your spirit on a daily basis, just get out. You're not that. Never mind the kids. Get out for yourself. Have enough self worth to get out. Just find an inkling of self worth and value to get out, and you'll you're better off by yourself in some little cubicle of an apartment by yourself with some good self worth than under that kind of roof. I think domestic violence is one of the worst things that people can live with. A domestic violence meaning either physical, mental, spiritual, financial. financial. Yeah. All any, of that. any kind of relationship that doesn't that that quashes your spirit, it is not a place to be. And I always say to women, what if your daughter was in that relationship, what would you tell your daughter to do? Ah, uh, good point. And that an, that answer in and of itself yeah. will tell you what to do. Money, though. So money is a big issue. I I don't have enough money. I never handled the family finances. I haven't worked in years. What will I do? Can can we address that for a second? Absolutely. Then Then if that is an issue, and I believe it is an issue for a lot of women, then just start right there. Figure out the money and figure it out really fast, but stop not stop doing nothing. Okay. Start getting smart about it. Start investing in the finance, not invest, start looking into the finances, seeing what is there. You go to a certified divorce financial planner, set up an appointment, just go get information. Knowledge is power. You don't have to leave, just go get some information. You might be quite surprised that you actually would be okay. Like if you left and divorced, you might just be okay. The alimony might be enough. You're, you, you might have enough to just be fine. Nothing great, but you might be okay. So I'm going to give uh, an example that um, I love bringing in celebrity divorces. I am in Hollywood, so it is part of the fabric of how I live on a daily basis. And to this point of money and where do I go and how do I handle it? So we have Erica Jane, yep. stage name, Erica Girardi, uh, legal name. 
She filed for divorce November of 2020. She was on the Beverly Hills Housewives. So that's how most of America uh, got to know her, although she had a performing career, a recording and performing career in clubs, and she had a very heavy gay male audience. And she was fairly successful, uh, although her husband, Tom Girardi, so much more successful. He was the Aaron, the, the prototype Aaron Brockovich attorney from that film with Julia Roberts. That was his case. That was him. Well, it wasn't him in the movie, but somebody was playing him. Anyway, point being, she goes on The Housewives, and like so many people that go on these shows, it's great for business, and it ruins your personal life. If it wasn't already bad to begin with, which apparently this was. But the question has been asked of her by several people on camera. And that question is, if now everything that you were going through is coming out, and this was really not a good marriage of 20 years at all, or a, the bulk of 20 years wasn't good, why did you stay in it? Because she's leaving now. There's no money to divide. He's in bankruptcy. He stole allegedly, allegedly stole money from the victims of all these um, terrible incidences where he, he won these cases for, the multi-million dollar cases. So now there's no spousal support. There's nothing to divide. I don't know that there was a prenup. I don't think there was, but here's what she said. And this is such a common phrase. Where was I going to go? Where was I going to go? Now, this is a woman who was earning money from performing and recording. So there was, it wasn't Tom Girardi money. Sure. But it was enough money to live on. There was money from the Beverly Hills Housewives. Andy Cohen brought it up on a reunion show. Well, I know what we pay you. That's enough to live on. Yeah. Other people live on that money. And her comment was on the reunion show on camera, I wasn't in charge of my finances. Okay, wait. You can, re, you can call Bravo and have that money sent to a different bank account. Yep. That's the one thing you can do that's under your control and the world is watching. I find it fascinating, and I'd love you to speak to this, that even when you do have available sources of money, you're not leaving. Mm -hmm. There's a trade-off. There is a trade-off. Could you speak to that a little bit? That's not about money. That's the money is an excuse for, for that. She doesn't want to leave because that's about, there's something deeper going on with her. There's, that's a value issue at that point. And I don't mean a money, monetary value. There's another value issue going on there. Right. And so that, that's a deep, that's a deeper dive, but that's not, that's not a money issue because a woman who would have value would have left years when, ago. Years ago, sure. Yes. Would have left years ago, for sure. So when you see women stay, I believe there are, listen, you have women who will take their children in the middle of the night and sleep in a shelter. That woman has value because. She knows I have more value than putting up with that again or even being dead. And I don't want my child in a shelter because who the hell wants that? But I have more value and so does my baby. 
than staying here. So that person actually has more self-esteem and value than you have somebody who has all the money they want and can live very nicely, maybe not as nicely as they're living, which is ostentatious to begin with, right? But doesn't have that deeper value or can't get somebody else to take care of her or take care of her in a different way. I'm not even talking financially. Take care of her in another way that she's getting. Uh, But that's a deeper dive issue. And that's about about self-esteem, value, self-worth. Yes. Yes. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, did she think she would have to give up her spot on the Beverly Hills Housewives? I think she came on the show around 2015, so six years or five years, whatever. Um, You know, when did it become really bad? You know, what was the trade-off back then? But even that speaks to value because you would value yourself to get off, you would risk getting off that show, right? Being bumped off that show before be, before you'd risk your own self worth. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. So, yeah, that's I what I get. That's what I'm talking about. The value. I really, really do. And in Hollywood, we have a lot of money. You know, I don't, but other people have a lot of money in the entertainment industry, and people will kind of be European. So European values, so I have learned, are, okay, so men just have other women. But that doesn't mean we have to get divorced. Maybe this isn't the way it is now, but, you know, my Italian heritage and ancestors said, well, you know, that's just men. Accepting that. Well, not not that just men have affairs, work outside yeah, the yeah. marriage, but women do too. But that, you know, that just seemed to be the way it was. So in Hollywood in Los Angeles, if you are married to a type A person who is a high-powered executive in film or television, the perks are unbelievable. The lifestyle is of the rich and famous. It's what we used to see with Robin Leach on oh, Robin many, Leach. many years ago. Yes. And it almost takes the executive to be the one ending the marriage when they find somebody else they want to be with. Mm-hmm. It's generally not the other person who's not the high-powered executive. They stay in it. And that just goes to show how we value money in <laughs> our lives over the way we sleep, over our own self-worth, which is gold. We can turn our self-worth into gold if we apply it. You have to, it's about what you value though. And I think people value, as we've seen with social media, you value what's in front of you. And what's in front of you are the intangibles, the, the clothing, the cars, the big houses. No, the, the all, tangibles. Those are the tangibles. Yeah, the tangibles. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the things in front of you, right? And, yeah. you know, the cosmetic surgery, the Botox, this, the, all the things that at the end of the day don't matter. That's right. Because in the end, It's going to come crashing down on you anyway. In the end, the only thing that matters are the people you surround yourself with. And those people will be gone just as quick as the material things. 
because they're only around because of the material things. In fact, you will find out who is and who is not around for the material things. That's, right. That, yes, that's the great. great and I've never met a, I've, and I've had many, many couples with the open marriages and all of this stuff. And I have yet, especially when they have children, I have yet to find a successful one where everybody's happy at the same time. Why do people have open marriages? Um, the, the sexual piece is a big thing. And uh, the, but the, for the women, uh, surprisingly, not, or maybe not surprisingly, it's the, uh, they would, they just like the emotional companionship of a, a male who's emotionally connected, which I find fascinating actually, <laughs> because the guys, their, their, their husbands typically uh, are bothered by that because they're like, what's up with that? And I'm yeah. like, well, you brought this in, but you want the sex piece with her. And she, she's, she's looking for the sex with you, but she's missing the emotional piece. And now you've given her somebody else for it. So I've never met like a third person doesn't make the party more enjoyable. Now, sexually, that's a whole different thing. For people, and then when you know you bring you have children, it just makes it much more challenging when children are, are yeah. And and isn't this it the sex piece that starts driving the emotions or making us conjure emotions that may not really be there or go for the emotional piece? I guess that's a better way of saying it. Doesn't enjoyable sex? position us to go for the emotional piece. Yeah, and different in different ways too for both the men and the women. Like yet yeah, there's no way there I shouldn't say there's no way because somebody's gonna say absolutely not true, but we're human beings. By nature, we are emotional. We make emotional attachments in different ways. So when you bring in that sexual piece, by nature, we get attached in some some similar significant way. And especially when you have repetitive uh, the same people in on the enjoyment encounters truly um, Colleen I, I don't want to leave my time with you without covering the last piece of what you do because I, I, I thoroughly enjoy how you think and how you approach all aspects of um, relationship and divorce but what is the difference between coaching mentoring coaching and life coaching, I kind of am looking at coaching and life coaching as two pieces, and mentoring. Could we define these? So, uh, well, coaching, there's lots of different types of coaching, right? You have executive coaching, life coaching, spiritual coaching, divorce coaching. So there's lots of different types of coaching. I think what how I envision coaching just period, as opposed to like therapy. Therapy, I think for a lot of times, we look in the rear view a lot of times. And we explore that and see how it's impacting kind of the, the, the front view, you know, where we are now going forward. I, I think a lot of times with coaching, because uh, people aren't trained in therapy, a lot of times with coaching, uh, we don't, people don't really take the past and utilize it to inform the present. So I think people will take the present and move people forward. 
So you don't take a lot of the past history and, you know, okay. and, and you're not actually with therapy, you're also looking at mental health issues. And I don't think coaches are trained in that to be able to make all those connections. Um, so they're, they're separate, obviously separate fields of study. Um, but coaching can take somebody where they're at right now, help them create a plan and help them move forward. Okay. Right. Um, and mentoring um, is to me, it's really, to me, that's a little more one on, it's like kind of taking somebody under your wing, you know, um, and um, I have a few people like that, some old students, take them under my wing, give them some advice and help them like kind of move, go along, you know, move along in life. So it's less, less a of a life plan just versus fluffing them up yes. along the way yeah. of their plan that they're already in. Something like that. Yes. Yes. And giving them like life's life lessons I've learned kind of helping them get their wings and off you go kind of thing. You know, I, I think taking, I, I look at mentoring as like taking a couple of people under your wing and helping them fly a little. I love that. I love that. Colleen, this has been great. We covered a lot. Yes. In this time. <laughs> and you're just a font of information. Love that you work worldwide now, I guess. Yes. In I any language too. that you speak, you will work worldwide, <laughs> statewide. How do people get in touch with you? So you can find me at, you can email me, Colleen, at ColleenO'Neill.com. You can find me at MediationAndBeyond.com. You can find me on my YouTube channel, uh, MediationAndBeyond.com. You can leave me messages there, but that's pretty much the best way to get in touch with me. Excellent. And I think people should do it, listening to you. Um, I've learned a lot and I've enjoyed your point of view. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great to see you again, Judith. Take care. Take care. And for all of you listening, thank you each and every time you tune into an episode. Please share the podcast with your, with your friends, anybody that you know about to go through divorce in the middle of the divorce or after divorce and experiencing some struggles, working things out. Um, with any aspect of the agreement. For you to get in touch with me, you can do that through this website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, I wish you an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 